Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at You know, if someone would ask me, Shane, hey, what's the, what's the temperature kind of, of culture right now? What, what, would, what would you say? What, what are some of the symptoms? Um, I think I'd probably respond by saying, ah, it's, it's a bit weary, right? A little, little unsettled, feverish, hopefully no one in here. Um, it's uh, a bit unsettling. It's uh, a bit restless, right? It's a bit, uh, bit on edge. There's almost like this anxious hum, like this, this kind of constant tension. Uh, there's also a sense of like people feeling like they've been forgotten. So there's like a forgotten sense. And that, that's a bad place to be. No one, no one wants to be forgotten. Um, it happened to me as a kid. As a kid, you know this, right? You're on aisle five. You look up and who you're with, the people who are supposed to take care of you, aren't there. So you're fine. And so what you do is like what I did. I'd run to the front of the store and you start from one, one aisle and you run all the way to the end and past the end caps. You're like running. <laughs> and you're fine. You really are fine until you get closer to the last aisle. And this is like last hope. You look and they're not there. So then what you do is you turn back around. And you've seen that kid. Uh, by this time, they're red-faced. They're out of breath. They've already been crying. Uh, and they, they feel like they're, they're done. And so they repeat their pattern of trying to, to locate. It, it's not fun. Um, we, well, I think my wife forgot my kid once. I was, I was officiating a wedding. And I was inside of this church downtown in Boise. And the wedding just got done. And my son, who's a lot younger than, decided to ride with his mom to, I think, the reception and some friends and it was just like, a, like the perfect timing for this kid. Like he's in the car, he's with mom, but he's like, I want to ride with dad. So he asked if he can hop out of the car before, before they take off. And so he hops out of the car. It's nighttime. It's dark. He runs up the steps to a church that he's foreign to. And he attempts to open the door that he came out of. It all makes sense. It makes sense for my wife. So it's not on her. She thought, oh, his hand's on the door. And he's thinking, my hand's on the door. He sees the taillights take off, and he's like, <laughs> that sound right there, especially if you're a kid, that's the sound of it's locked. And then it's just not, it's not, when you're a kid and you're outside, you're outside your element, and he was young, and um, he's not rational. He automatically thought that that meant he'll never see us again. He thought that he's going to spend his life raising himself, like, on the streets. He just, grr, right? No one, no one wants to be that. So if someone asked me, hey, what's the, what's the feel? I'd be like, come on, right? That's the feel of right now. It's you've been misplaced. You forgot something. You've been maybe forgotten. It's the home alone. You with me? Some of you, you're tracking? That's the feel. But in an all too real sense, outside the humor of that, I think we live in a culture right now that feels all those things. 
and it's like a present, uh, unmoving reality. There's people in this room you feel forgotten. There's people in this room who felt overlooked. There's people in this room that you really, really carry some, some deep, dark hurt. There's some real pain that is present, not just in culture at large, uh, but within uh, the day-and-day activity of even those who are already Christ followers. Um, but there's, there's good news, and I'm here for the next few moments to share that good news. There would always be a follow-up question, because there always is, and the question is, okay, if that's the mood of culture, if that's the feel, if those are the symptoms, then whose fault is it? And I think that's our nature. We always want to find out whose fault it is. We always have to pin it on someone. There always has to be a responsibility kind of outside of ourselves that this is uh, directed to. It's just kind of the, how we are. And it's not right, but it's what happens. And so if you were to ask me that question then as a follow-up, then whose responsibility is it? For the sake of time, we don't have a lot of time, but I would have to, to be honest, I'd have to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to, I'm going to pin the responsibility on Adam and Eve. It's on them. It's completely on them. They screwed so much up. My goodness. Because, come on, the problem is way more layered than the pandemic and politics in 2020. I mean, we got to go all the way back. And I encourage you, read your Bible. Read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and be overwhelmed at how orderly God is in managing his creation. The details, my goodness, and the strategy and the, the, the thought process. The God who sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning puts every thing together in an ordered place in the right atmosphere. Man, he sets things up real good. He creates first Adam. And he created Adam with the intent that Adam would then would be an example for future generations to follow. But the problem lies with first man and woman, and that's that there was missteps in their life. And we see Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, is given purpose and direction on what he's supposed to do. Two things mainly. He was to tend and he was to guard that which God had put in trust to him. And the misstep is his inaction on doing just that. There came a moment where he let up for a moment, which then opened a door for demonic activity to influence their hearts and their minds. Because there is, there is a real enemy. There, there's an enemy who, who seeks to thwart and try and uh, distort the purposes and the mission and even the very character of God. And this enemy was going to work in the hearts of Adam and Eve. While Adam stopped doing what he's supposed to do, tend and guard, we see that Eve then is manipulated and she's moved by the strategy of the enemy to distort the image and the picture of God in their hearts and minds. And that's what he does. The God who is generous now to them is a God who's not generous any longer. He's a God who's controlling. He manipulates. He's power hungry. He withholds. And that's not the God that we see in reality throughout the beginning of Genesis all the way to its end in Revelation. We see a God uh, who lavishes love, his care, his kindness, and mercy 
upon all humanity, but it's amazing how even in the midst of a perfect atmosphere, Adam and Eve got tricked, manipulated by the tactics of the enemy. So if, if I'm to put blame on anyone about our current moment in culture, I'm going to put it on them. Adam let go of his responsibility. He, he backed off for a moment, which left an open door for the enemy to come in and to just work havoc within this first man and first woman. The progression uh, that you see as you read through it, even in Genesis chapter, chapter 3, uh, we see that they give attention to the wrong things. And once they give attention to the wrong thing, they let their guard down. When they let their guard down, they disobey God. Eve was not motivated by a need because everything was placed in the garden for their future success, for building, for growing, for thriving, and for, for multiplying uh, as God has given them direction to. So her desire came from a once, much like ours. Everything, whether you realize it or not, uh, you don't need another thing. Everything that has been placed in your life, God's made perfect. Uh, so our sin's not from a need, our sin's always from a want. And that's what happened even in the garden here. She sins out of a want. She stops listening and remembering what God said. And she's now moved by what she sees. She desires to have something that God says it's not yours to have. And the desire just compounds within her life to where they both have a major infraction. They cross over, which is sin, they cross over the boundary that God had set for them. And the result is uh, they disobey. They then try and hide when they're found because they're not good hiders. When they're, they're found, right, um, we see that they being, begin to blame one another. It's never their full responsibility or fault. It's always Adam said it was the woman you gave me. Eve said it was the serpent who was in the garden. Uh, so no one took ownership. And then they attempt to do what we do with our life. It's called self-righteousness. They try to hide or cover themselves. They try and make themselves better. They try and get themselves back in the place where they can be in right relation with God. And it's like the picture of my son outside of a door that he does not have the power to get into. He just is shaking it. He's terrified. The only way, and my son was rescued, the only way my son was able to get inside the church building is when the door was open from the inside. Someone heard the panic pull and probably the cries. Uh, and, I mean, the relief that came over his face when we were united. I didn't even know that we were apart. Uh, but he hugged me as though we were. Uh, to him, it was, what, it's a picture of, of rescue. We see that Adam and Eve, they're, they're trying to cover for themselves. Isaiah chapter 64 says, We've all become one like who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds, they're like polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, they take us away. In other words, our, our righteousness or our attempts for righteousness, hear this this morning, is like windblown leaves. Uh, it just doesn't do a whole lot. It, it doesn't cover well and appropriately. It's, it's not redeeming in any way, shape, or form. And I want us to know this in this season of Christmas. I'm like, wait a minute, man. We got Christmas decorations. You're coming a little heavy this morning. Just bear with me for a moment. We, we have an enemy, an adversary. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says he, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't seek to, like, be a friend and be a roommate and move in and just kind of 
laugh at some sitcoms with you and just kind of just be an acquaintance. No, it says he seeks to kill, still, and destroy. His intent is to devour. I mean, these are these are dangerous, like these are violent terms. But the last part of that verse says, is Jesus speaking, but I've come to give life and to give it in full. Like to give it completely. Like there's there's no room. There's 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 nothing else that needs added to it. But the reality is this, that the same enemy that goes and works to attempt to uh, assault and twist in the hearts of mind Adam and Eve is the same enemy that we deal with today, both in culture, in the church, at your job, in your home, you name it. Uh, he's, he's after people because people are a reminder of promise. Promise of what? Well, if you read scripture, promise of what God has spoken over your life, over destiny. See, you got to check this out. Like, and I said this to my wife the other day, and she just laughs at me in, in a good way. I, we were going to watch a show. I think, you know, we were, every time we mention something like Christmas lights, this and that, I'm like, careful, babe. There's, there's something underneath it all. And, she's, and I'm, she's like, you know, like what? I'm like, well, Christmas, yeah, and I love it. Christmas is lights, and I'm putting up lights. I'm actually going to put up some, like, decorations in the yard today because our neighbors did. So I'm like, all right, I can... I can do it too. We can be in this together. Um, I'm going to eat a lot of calories, just to let you know, this, this next 20-some days. And I don't even care. I'll take care of it in January. I should have stocked up more in 2019 if I would have known what 2020 was. I would have come into it just strong, calorie, efficient. <laughs> but I, I love that. I love carols. I hope someone knocks at our door and sings. You know, I, I, love, I love Christmas movies. We are just going to do a marathon of Christmas movies. But I want you to hear something. Layered underneath all of that, Christmas is warfare. It doesn't, but it doesn't look like it. I know it doesn't look like it, but hear me. Hear me. Like, you know, if, if, we, don't fa- if we don't get this, then we're just going to pass through Christmas like we pass through a lot of other things. Where it just doesn't do a whole lot for us. It doesn't move us. But Christmas is warfare because of what Christmas means, of, of what it represents. See, like, if we don't get it, then we're left just to ourselves. And when we're left to ourselves, you know what you, you remain as? You remain hopeless. You remain weary. You remain anxious. You remain fearful. So it can't just, it, it has to be about something greater than, than us. Christmas is warfare in the fact that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see that uh, God speaks to this, this enemy, to, to Satan, and says, listen, there's going to be an enmity between you and the woman, uh, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is actually first mentioned. It's first glimpse into what the gospel message is all about. Because it's a promise right here in the beginning. Like God didn't allow them just to continue on in their sin and in their frustration. He goes to work right away. Like immediately. You got to hear me. He went to work immediately to restore that which has been robbed and taken from and stolen. He went to be the bridge for now what was a great divide because of what sin did, the trespass of sin. It's just not that it made them feel bad. It completely separated them from the very presence of God. 
God goes to work right away. Your fig leaves, your little um, plant made, you know, shirt and whatever's covering you doesn't work. He goes right to work to uh, put on them this redeeming quality that he only can do, pointing to Jesus. He says, there is going to be a seed line that's going to come. There's a Messiah that's going to come who's going to put the world that's wronged back to right. And the Messiah is going to, this seed's going to get hurt. And the picture of hurt there, it, it's pointing to the crucifixion. It's pointing to what we could then get to celebrate in Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it's just not enough that the seed comes, but the seed's also going to get hurt. But in him getting hurt, what it does, it buys life back. That which has been robbed and stolen from the enemy is going to be bought back by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as we see indicated in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The good news is this. Not only is Christmas warfare... This is going to change how you look at Christmas lights. Like I, I want it to be a little bit heavy in the car for a moment. I want you to rejoice. I want you to celebrate, especially once you get the full picture of Christmas. But there's got to be a sense of like, man, there's a, there's a heaviness to this. Wow. Like when I give a gift, when I participate in the acts of generosity, whoo, it's warfare. It's the, it's the one thing the enemy doesn't want me to do. When I participate with the activity of heaven, whoa, that's, that's warfare. Like when I really think through these lyrics and sing, not just because it has a good melody and sound, but I really think about the words being expressed. It's gospel being sung. Whoa, that's warfare. When I receive a gift from someone and open it up and I just say thank you, I'm, I'm participating in this wonderful act that God put in motion a long time ago to do what? It, it's an act of worship. It's an act of celebration because we know that it goes beyond the lights, beyond the gifts, beyond the treats, beyond the ugly sweaters. It goes beyond all that. Those are all in good, but it's so much more deeper. Jesus came to invade our planet. So Christmas is warfare. It involves this invasion. God became Human. He put on the robes of flesh. He, he, he was born in a defenseless and a uh, vulnerable state called an infant, a baby. It's an invasion. It's a rescue. And I'm going to end here in a few moments, and you're going to see how Christmas is all about this beautiful reversal. The song says, long lay the world in sin and air pining till... He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. I think what we get to participate in is as followers of Jesus, if you are. If you're not, I, I, hope, you, I hope that changes here in a few moments. But we're in a weary world. And I, I love the Old Holy Night song, especially that line, a thrill of hope. A weary world rejoice. How does a weary world rejoice? What does a weary world rejoice in? Well, they, they rejoice in the reality of what Christmas is all about, which centers on Jesus. As he was born, everything was completely brand new. The weary world, loaded down by sin, reject, or rejoiced with a thrill of hope. Why? Because... Jesus was just not another human born under the weight and the defects of sin. At Christmas, hear me now, we, we celebrate the fact that King Jesus came into our world. Vulnerable as he was, 
Born to a young mom and her husband in an insignificant part of the globe, we see that Jesus enters our story. I would have written it a lot different. Like, I'm thinking Thor. Come on. I'm, yes, I'm thinking any, any Marvel character. Anything that separates uh, us from, from something that feels and looks and seems supernatural. But God chooses the most vulnerable among us, an infant. They can't do much. The, I mean, just think about the humility process of God. Read Genesis chapter 1 and then read the narratives of Jesus coming to our, our world. He lets all that go so that he can then be taken care of by a teenage mom and her husband. On the run, in hiding. Why? Because Christmas is a warfare. There's a mad king after him. Mad kings don't chase after fantasies and fictions and fairy tales. So Jesus is a reality. He, he threatens the throne. He, he, he threatens this, this, this order. He threatens the dark powers uh, that surrounded our day now and then. Uh, and he, he comes in the world as an infant. And yet this baby was different from all else. He was God in human form, flesh and blood. From the beginning of eternity, he was God. But on the first Christmas, he entered our space and he lived among us. And as John says in chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 14, the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the Message Bible, the 14th verse reads, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That which was from the beginning in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, which we have, listen to this, heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. What is what is John saying? John's saying that that which we celebrate today and forever is not an illusion. It's not something that's figurative, but it's literal. It's possessible. It can be touched. It's tangible, meaning you can encounter it. He uses words, we've seen it, we've heard, we've touched, we've witnessed. Uh, you, you don't say those things to uh, areas of life that fall into the category of fiction. John's saying it's here. Uh, Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is here. Uh, in our world, in our space, in our time, in our life, God has invaded our world. And this is the most meaningful event in human history. And that's why we celebrate it. But the problem is, we at least have one problem as humans. We get bored easily. And we get unmoved by things that should move us. And we get moved by things that shouldn't shake us. It's like sometimes we reverse the order. Sometimes, I don't know, if, if you live too close to the Tetons or if you live, uh, you know, you spend all your time in the Sawtooth region. Like, 
for someone to see it for the first time, they might have a different experience than you. You got to be careful when you're surrounded by something that is marvelous not to get bored with the marvelous. And when you surround yourself with something that should be awe-inspiring and leave you breathless, you shouldn't get bored with that. If you get bored with that, it means that you're really not looking at it. You're really not taking it in. If Christmas underwhelms you, then you're not looking at the right Christmas. Because the Christmas of Scripture that we're to celebrate should, something, should be something that overwhelms you. Like it should, it should overwhelm you. Like you should open that gift and be like, you've got to be kidding me. And you've been there where you've been in a family setting and the gift is given to you and everyone's watching you open it. And you open it and you're like, oh. But then you have to say, I don't want to offend anybody. So then you have to, you, you overexert energy needed and excitement that's really not there. And then they're like, oh, yeah, he doesn't like it. Because the more you over and try and fake something, the real, oh, yeah, nope, missed that. That should not be Christmas for you. Regardless if you've been hurting, regardless if you've been in just the fight of your life, to know the story of what is represented here is something that should move you to humility. It should move you to worship. Man, it should move you to uh, just this, this absolute joy and thrill. Even in the midst of difficulty, it should move you to, to celebrate. It should move you to, to wonder. Christmas is always more than. It's not less than. It's, it's God invading our world. Why did he invade our world? Well, I'm landing here in a moment. It's because we needed a rescue. I needed a rescue. Not just the, the person that I disagree with. They need the rescue. No, I need the rescue. I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was a, a young man. Um, and I've been serving Jesus for a long time. But even in serving Jesus for a long time, man, I, I still have mistakes. I still trip. I, I still need rescued. I still need the work of Jesus today as any other day in time past. And Lord knows I need him all the way through the future, right? So this isn't just about some of us. This is all of us knowing this, that the reason why God invaded our planet is because you and I are in desperate need of rescue, of being saved, of being Reached. Paul does a way better job explaining this to myself. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Because of this, listen, I'll, I'll read a moment. The, the point I want to make here is that we're, because we've been, and I'm going to blame it on Adam and Eve, because we were born in the nature of Adam and Eve in their race, we're not basically good. And I think this is what trips people up. We're not basically good. And that's what's so deceptive about those cute little babies. They're cute, but they're not born basically good. And no one wants to hear this, but they're born basically corrupt, sinful, and hostile towards God by nature. Like, there's nobody, whatever, preacher. There's no way that cute thing could be hostile towards God by nature. The, the, it, the point's here. Because of what Adam did, because of the fall of first Adam and Eve, uh, unfortunately, we've... We've been born into to that nature. And without a redeemer, hear me, without a substitute, without God moving into our world and taking charge and action, 
uh, we are left then to the fate of what that delivers. It says the wages of sin is, is death. It's just not a bad day. It's not a stomachache. The wages of sin is, is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says. And Adam sinned. Sin into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet a law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is, I love this, a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins... For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live and triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, Many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. This is loaded. What's it saying? It's saying that Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sinless. Jesus fulfilled his purpose and his mission. What Adam failed to do in Genesis chapter 3, we see Jesus completes fully in Matthew chapter 4, where Adam was confronted with demonic forces and he gave in in Genesis 3. Jesus was confronted by those same dark forces in Matthew chapter 4 after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he took the devil to school. He stood strong. He reminded the enemy of the word and the promises, and he didn't bend. He didn't quit. He didn't give in. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus is not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. The reason why he's not the second Adam is because he's not a repeat of the first Adam, meaning he's just not another one who hopefully will get the job done. He's the last Adam, which is very different than the second Adam. It says that he got the job done, mission accomplished. He invaded our world and your world, and he rescued you and I from the grip and the torment of hell and what sin pays is death. He pays that fully on the cross. He goes all the way from a lowly manger to Jerusalem to a crucifixion. He dies on a horrific Roman cross. He defeats death, hell, and the grave, and he does it all with you in mind. I love the ugly sweaters. I love Christmas cookies. But I don't ever want to forget that Christmas is all about Jesus making himself humble to where he's raised in poverty. He's raised by a teenage mom. He's, he's raised having to relearn things. And all the while he does it because he's motivated by love. He's motivated by the commandment of the Father. He's motivated by the promise of what's to come. That 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 was wronged and twisted and broken and deceived by the enemy can be made right and has been made right by the power of Jesus. 
Therefore now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, this is the promise that anyone here today, anyone watching online, you have been given the opportunity to have a new life through Christ Jesus. You, your life is renewed, come on, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the law was powerless to do uh, because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be the sin offering. And so he condemned flesh or sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to flesh but according to the spirit. What's being said here by Paul? What's being said here by Paul is Jesus went and paid for everything needed to be paid for so that we could recover our lives once again. Not just recover our lives so that we could know beyond a shadow of doubt that we've been born and created to live in the very presence of King Jesus. He did that for you and for me. That's what Christmas is all about. It's an invasion. It's a rescue because we've needed it. And the rescue has caused a reversal in our life. There's three chapters I'm going to leave you with. I want you to read. This is your homework. 1 John chapter 3. It's an easy one. Then I want you to read Colossians chapter 2. That's another easy one. And then I want you to read Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. So these are just three chapters out of 1,189 chapters in the Bible that give some proof of the benefit of you opening your life to Jesus. Now you're saying, well, I've opened my life to Jesus and it's been like 40 years. Awesome. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you spent four decades walking with Jesus. But there's still so much more to open. There's still so much more that, that God, even if is calling you to, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, I'm sure you haven't reached the level of kingly generosity yet. I'm sure you've not reached the level of what it means to uh, be like the Messiah and forgive those who, who hate you. I'm sure there's still some more room to walk on the road to go a little bit further to help carry someone else's burden. I'm sure there's some, some fractures within the home that God can still and still wants to repair and heal, right? If that's you, I encourage you. I'm so grateful that you've followed Jesus for a long time, but there's still work that God wants to continue to do in your life. If you're here today, you're listening to this this morning, and you've never known who Jesus is, let me tell you beyond a shadow of doubt that when Jesus came to earth and when he walked through the process of his mission and purpose and when he died on the cross, he had your life and my life in mind. And the desire and the purpose was this, that you would not say, stay slave to sin, slave to bondage, under the yoke of that darkness, but Christ has come to set you free. And this is the benefit. In John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, it says that the Son of God came to, number one, destroy the works of the enemy. So what's the benefit for you and I today? I'm, I'm going to list off a few things out of these, these chapters out of 1 John 3, Colossians chapter 2, and Isaiah chapter 9. Number one, the, the benefit we have is that the, God came to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, in Colossians, we see that we've been made alive in Christ. 
Uh, we've also had our f- sins forgiven. Those, those are huge. Number four, we see that he has canceled the record of charges that was against us. We see that he disarmed principalities and powers that were trying to lord and rule over our life. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see that freedom and hope are restored. I don't know who needs this. Darkness is lifted. A release from oppression is given. God breaks the yoke of burdens in bondage and slavery. He breaks the rod of the oppressor. We also see that peace reigns over every portion, over every corner of creation. And I get it. I don't need you to. I would listen to this too and just kind of be quiet too. I don't need you to yell at me. I just need to, you to know and your knower, deep in your heart, that this Christmas and what God has done and what it means, it goes all the way through you. It challenges everything in you. It changes everything around you. And now the responsibility is here. You ready? For the church, those who said yes to Jesus. If this is what God has given us, then what is our response to this? It shouldn't be anything less than constant leaning in and celebration. Like, I'm saying this a smile because I, I know it feels a little heavy, but you got to really celebrate this season. Like, really celebrate. Like, you, you have to be really generous this season. You have to, to be very kind right now. Not just even this season with your life. You have to allow faith to continue to stir in you. You have to give room for the Holy Spirit to speak to you in ways that make sense. You have to then obey when God speaks to you. You have to do what Advent's all about. You have to remember well and you have to anticipate better. Meaning you have to remember not just your past and remember what you feel and what's happened to you. No, you got to remember that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ has set you free. You have to remember that Jesus is for you every single day. You have to remember that his grace is sufficient for every story and problem. You have to remember that his mercy is made new every morning. It's uh, Timothy Kelly says, what you remember, what's central to your mind sets the course for your whole life. So come on, as a church, as followers of Jesus, we just got to do a better job remembering and contemplating over the wonder of who Christ is within our life. And then we have to anticipate well. You have to allow your anticipation to move past how you feel and what you see. Because not everything that you see is the right reality. Not everything that you see is all that's going on. There's always something deeper happening. God's always doing something more magnificent than we can put into words and describe with our limited intellect and our mind. 2020 was not a surprise to God. The the sixth day of December, as we end this year, is not a surprise to God. What you went through, what you're going through, what you're holding now is not a surprise to God. Isaiah also gives you this promise in the ninth chapter that that which wars against you and even wars in you, it finds its ends and it finds its, its, its loss and its defeat at the feet 
of Jesus. Meaning your story individually as a family for this church, for Capital Church, for the churches all across this nation, but not just limited to this nation, the church at large, ecumenical. God is always and constantly on the move. He's the God who's gonna, he continues to restore. He's the God who takes the weary mind and soul and family and person and he thrills them with hope, the hope of himself, the hope of his story. We have to light up. We ha- hear me. We have to light up with faith. We have to light up with celebration. We have to light up with joy and wonder. Why? Because there's a people that are in darkness that don't know and won't know unless there is a messenger, unless there is someone who says, listen, you don't have to live this way. Let me tell you about how my life was changed. Let me tell you about how the inside of me to the outside of me was fully affected by the power and the wonder of Jesus. This is Christmas. Ugly sweaters, hot chocolate, twinkling lights and all. It's, it's, it's to celebrate the wonder of who Jesus is. So when you put up your lights today, like I'm going to, I'm gonna do it with the understanding. I'm putting these lights on and flipping the switch. And when people drive by my little house, what they're gonna see is the lights, but there's something deeper happening here. I'm participating with the globe, even the ones that don't even know why they're celebrating it. I'm participating with the globe to say, the reason why we celebrate is because God is here in our space. He's in the midst. Friends, he's here right now. He's here right now. You're going through it, you're tired, you're weary. Look what the Bible says. It says, are you tired? You worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me. And I'll let you recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how we do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You need to get your life back. You need to get your wind back. You need to get your joy back. You need to be set free from oppressive weights. You need to move out from that pitiful story of you feel forgotten and people might have forgotten you, but the promise is this, that Jesus has never forgotten you, that you've never left the mind of God that God thinks about you. The psalmist in Psalms 139 says, uh, his thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand. Come on, have you ever tried counting sand in your hand? You can't do it. He says, this is his thoughts towards you and towards me. Father, thank you today for who you are. Thank you for the promise of what we celebrate today. Lord, we celebrate that you've come into our world and you've taken that which is wrong, which is broken, fractured by disobedience and sin, which has been completely separated and You created this beautiful reversal. We get our life back because of Jesus. Hope is restored because of your promise. I know there's people here this this morning, this afternoon, that uh, they just, they need to know the the hope that's found in Jesus. I'm praying, God, that right now, both in the life setting and those watching online, would be overwhelmed by the thrill of hope that comes through Christ Jesus. Father, for those that have never said yes to Jesus, Lord, my prayer is with me. They would just say, God, I I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my heart. Come into my story. Come and turn my world upside down. Come deliver me from the bondage of sin. Come deliver me from reckless living. Come deliver me from my own thoughts, my own way of trying to make myself right. I surrender 
at the feet and to the person of Jesus. Thank you for being Lord, Savior. I'll follow you all my days. Lord, I pray many people make that commitment today and throughout this season. Thank you for using capital and the beautiful people that are here to continue to be salt and light, pointing people to the reality and wonder of Jesus. We love you and praise you. And the church said, amen.